you know, and I haven't asked this question, but has this uh, helped any of you at all? Have anything that we've shared have been uh, helped you at all a little bit, just an inch or two? Or, you know, have you made application of some of those things and your marriage is stronger and getting better? Yes, maybe. Wow. It's okay to talk back to me. This is fine. I like it when you talk back to me. It's not a problem. <laughs> well, not in that way, but. <laughs> um, but uh, this morning, uh, we're going to continue. This is our fourth part in, uh, of our series. And we, the first, uh, just kind of a recap, uh, we had originally, the first part of the series was uh, dealing with the foundation of marriage. And we kind of covered what marriage, uh, where it came from, how it all began. And uh, we also dealt last, a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with the role of the husband. Uh, what is his responsibility as a servant leader? And then last week we dealt with the role of the wife. And we, and we talked about the wives last week. Wives, did you uh, have a good time last week? It wasn't too hard, was it? You know, it was, it was fine. So did you? Great. So you, so you just, you, you submitted to your husband and everybody was just, all the pieces were just operating beautifully, right? There was no, right? <laughs> And so, uh, so last week we talked about the role of the wife and uh, talked about what godly submission is. And I think it's important to emphasize that. And so today we're going to be dealing with, I think there's something that's very, very important as well, is sure proof in your marriage. And we're going to cover about five or six things that we can do to make our marriage strong. Uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. Holy Spirit, now take control right now. Minister to the hearts of everybody under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us even as we are gathered here this morning, that we will not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start uh, reading. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter number 7. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 24. Matthew chapter number 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse number 24. Five, four, three, two, one. Here we are. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded upon or founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. What we're going to be talking about today is sure proofing your marriage. That is a profound scripture because it really addresses every aspect of our lives. And so specifically because we're talking about the issue of marriage, Jesus draws a parallel. He says of a person that hears his word and make a decision to obey it. He says, it's like you build It's like you, you build your house upon a rock. The winds and the rain will come, 
but your house will not fall because it's built on a rock. The rock that we're talking about is Christ. We all have been married for any length of time. You know that the rain descends, the wind blows, and you know that you go through various seasons in your marriage, whether it be uh, you know, financial issues, uh, uh, whether it be a loss of a loved one, uh, whether it be some form of immorality or whether it be some unforeseen circumstance, you know, life is going to come at you at your marriage. And one of the things that we understand about the devil, the Bible says that in John 10, 10, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is, I mean, think about that for a moment. He comes to kill. The devil wants to wipe us out. He wants to destroy our marriages. I mean, he comes to steal. What is, what is he stealing? Our peace, our joy, our happiness, that which God wants us to have in our marriages. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy that because he don't want you to be happy. He wants your family to be in shambles. He will love it that you are miserable every day. In fact, if you don't believe that, go and read Job chapter number one. God gave, allowed Satan just for a brief moment to attack Job. And within a matter of minutes, all hell broke loose. This man lost his family, his possession. And if, 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 if Satan could have, he would have took Job's life. But God said, no, I'm going to stop you right there. Took the man's health, just went at him. You know, the enemy is ferocious. And he wants nothing to do but to destroy us. He wanted to destroy our marriages. He wanted to destroy our homes. But I like how Jesus said that I came that they might have life and that they might have life abundantly. And see, that is good news. But in order for us to have the abundant life, then we have to make a decision to say, like he said, he said, now, if you hear my word, the things that we have been sharing uh, in the past weeks, we have been talking about, um, you know, the, 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 the principles of the word of God as it relates to marriage. He says, now when you hear my word and you make a decision, husband and wife, that we are going to take heed to his word and we're going to follow the pattern that God has gave us. He says, here's what's going to happen. When the winds come and the rain descend and all this stuff happens, your marriage is going to be standing strong. How many of you have ever seen one of those hurricanes, you know, when, you know, when the winds are blowing so strong and that you see those palm trees, like particularly in Florida and California, you see those trees almost bent to the point. It looks like, man, that thing is going to snap and break. But somehow after all of that, the sun comes back out and somehow that thing is still standing because it was able to withstand the pressure. See, one of the things I believe that is so many of us, we struggle in our marital relationships because we're not prepared. And I was in a Boy Scout. We used to have this thing. And I know Jim was heavily involved in that at one point. But we had this motto, be prepared. Be prepared. So you might be thinking, well, you know, Pastor, my marriage is doing fine. I really don't have any, any issues at all. My marriage is perfect. Well, I, I don't know that kind of situation. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you're foreign to me, if that's the case. But one of the things that we could always do is improve upon our marriages. Because none of us have come to a place where we have actually arrived. But, but I like how Jesus says, listen, if you hear these words, if you do it like I say, do it. 
all hell is going to break through. But guess what? Your marriage is still going to be standing. You know why? Because the foundation is good. And who is the rock? The rock is Jesus. He said, now, if you hear it, now I can stand up here every week and I can preach to you about the, what the word of God says about uh, marital relationships and what the Bible says. But if you don't make up in your mind and say, I'm going to do what it says, then he said, he likened you like a house that's built upon the sand. Trouble comes, everything breaks loose, and the house falls. And the Bible says great is the fall of it. And so marriages sometimes experience these times when you're blindsided. You know, when all of a sudden things are going well. How many have ever been there? Things are going great in your marriage, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, bam. It's like, wow, where, where did this come from? I, I wasn't quite prepared this so the things that we're going to share with you today is going to help you to get prepared so if your marriage is strong it's going to get stronger because I want to share with you, with you some things from the word of God that will help you to sure proof your marriage because as I said before so goes the family so goes the nation so goes the family so goes the church so goes the marriage so goes the kids what you do in moderation, your children would do in access. It's just a principle, just the way that it is. Many children today are struggling mightily. They grow up, they learn, they learn exactly what they have been taught from their experience, and they repeat the cycle over and over again. And what I'm saying here today, that I am not going to allow the enemy to do that in my home, And each and one of you, each one of you should have the same kind of attitude. You know what? It's not going to happen here. Not at my house. Because, you see, you have the answers. You and I, we we know what we need to do. We just need to make up our minds. Let's let's do it. Let's go for it. So what are some ways that we can sure-proof our marriage? Number one, this is good. Identify and work at meeting each other's needs. Identify and work at meeting each other's needs. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I'm a, I wrote a lot of scriptures down because I wanted to save some time because I got a lot of information. I want to get it in real quick and try to get out as quickly as I can. So I wrote down a lot of these scriptures, but you can refer back to them later. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verses 32 and 33, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. One of the things that we got to recognize and realize is that when you decided to get married. Now, I know that there are some folks out there that are married and they still want to act like they're single. But the problem of it is, is, you know, when you're single, you can go and come as you please. Paul even made an argument, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, of the benefit of being single. Because, you know, you can devote all your time to God. You don't have to go back and you don't have to ask, you know, honey, can I go here? Honey, can I go there? You know, uh, you know, can, honey, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. You don't have to worry about any of that when you're single. But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, he's about the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife or in context his spouse. Because 
you have been called by God to meet your spouse's need. Now, I know that a lot of people look at that and they think, well, you know what? Mm. You know, well, you know, one spouse have a certain need. Sometimes we can take light of that and say, well, you know what? It's, you know, you just got to kind of get over that, you know. But that is not what the Bible says. Listen to this. Unmet needs are the primary cause of extramarital affair. Unmet needs. And so if you have a cavalier approach to meeting your spouse's need, then you're you're undermining the marital relationship. I give you an example of that. Say that you are you just finished eating steak. The other day I had an opportunity to go to Kobe's. Hallelujah. Loved it. Great. Woo, I'm going back. But you know, after I had ate that Kobe steak, you know, and you know, and I drove and if, I don't know if you know about that particular shopping center, but you have, you know, we have I think Popeye somewhere near there or a Burger King, a Taco Bell, and, and usually when I'm really hungry, Taco Bell just does something to me. It just makes me, you know, just make that move toward it. But after I ate that steak, let me tell you something. I was full. And you know what? The smell of food, just I didn't want to smell it anymore because I was so full. I was like, get away from me. You know why? Because my need was met. I'm fine. But let's just say that I went to Kobe's and for whatever reason, I hadn't eaten all day, and I didn't get a chance to eat at the restaurant, and I drive out. How many know that the smell of that food, I'm more tempted to take that turn now? Why? Because there's a need that has not been met. And when, you, when there are needs that are not met in a marital relationship, the temptation, I want to underscore it, temptation is to look elsewhere or to try to find a way to get that need met. I.e., that is how we have a lot of situations where people have problems in their relationships. Because it's a natural instinct. When you get married to your husband or your wife, you have an obligation to each other to meet each other's needs. Now, I'm not talking about an unhealthy kind of codependency kind of thing. You know, where there are some needs that one person or your spouse can never meet. I.e., they're not going to be perfect. (laughs) We're going to make mistakes sometimes. There are some areas in our life that only God can fulfill us and meet those needs. But to the extent that we have it within our power to meet our spouse's needs, you have a responsibility to do so. Because not to, to, to lightly regard your spouse's need is to put your marital relationship in jeopardy. And so we cannot have a cavalier approach to say, well, you know what, that need is not that important to me. Because you see, if, 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 I'm, if, if that need is important to Peggy, then it better be important to me. Because the easy thing to say was, well, what's the big deal? And we're going to talk about in a moment the five needs of the husband and the five needs of the wife. And I'm sure I'm going to get an amen from both sides of the aisle. And then some. And so we talk about this issue of meeting each other's need. Paul said this. Paul says now he encouraged a time. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. I have to read this. I wasn't going to read it, but I'm going to have to have you turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Because one of the needs that we have to meet is the sexual needs of our spouses. And Paul has something to say about that. How many know the Bible talks about sex? It should not be a bad word. We shouldn't look and say, oh my goodness, the Bible has a whole lot to do. And to talk about as it relates to sex. 
But listen to this. In verse number, chapter 7, verse number 2. Actually, let's start in verse, yeah. uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Uh, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Now listen to that now. This is profound. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Uh, Men, just in case you want to get a little happy, let's let's keep reading. (laughs) And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now that is powerful because the Apostle Paul said that, listen, as as a marital partner, you don't have control over your own body. Now, I've heard about the stories. I've heard, well, you know, and thank God I never had this issue in my own home. But I've heard about the stories how sometimes wives will, will play the manipulation game. Well, honey, if you don't, uh, if you don't uh, fix that hole in the roof, uh, if you don't do A, B, and C, then you know what I'm going to You ain't going to get anything from me. Mm. But he says that you don't have authority over your own body. Because the reason why he said that is because the two of you have become one. Remember we talked about the needs being met? Neither does the husband have authority over his own body. So if your spouse make a request and say, it's time, then it's your responsibility to meet that. And I'm not talking about times, you know, when everybody, you know, we have times of sickness and we have times when we're not feeling well. And I'm not talking about those times. But you know how sometimes we can just say, well, you know what? I, I, I'm not just, I'm just not in the, the, the mood to, to do that. So you just got to get over it. Take a shower. Relax. Do something. You know, you'll be okay. But the problem is if that spouse says, keep, now look at the idea here, that if your spouse have a need, you have an obligation to meet that need. And remember the analogy, if a person gets hungry, what's the, the, the temptation that urges are stronger. And so we're talking about sure proof in your marriage. And the reason why Paul said you don't have authority because you're one. You have responsibility to one another, to love one another, not to be selfish on both ends of the aisle. There is there that balance. And I didn't get an amen on that, but we'll keep on going. Hallelujah. But I like how Paul says this, that Paul says that, that, that only to separate for a short period of time. Now, he's talking about sexual relationships. He says only separate for a, a, short, a, a, a short period of time and come together again, lest you be tempted. And how many know that we live in a day of very sensual culture? You can't go five miles down the road. You can't go in the checkout line. There is something appealing, always trying to lure you in. And one of the things that can combat that is when we take our personal responsibilities to make sure that our spouse needs are being met in that area of our lives. 
He says, come together again. The, the only time that you should really separate, obviously, is that there's a time of uh, you know, somebody is sick or a time when you just want to pray and focus on God. But he said, come together again. I can remember when I was in college, I, I worked, I, I was uh, working a part-time job while I was in college in the Hampton Roads area. And uh, I can recall, this was before my, uh, this predates my born-again experience, so I want to qualify that. But I can recall that, you know, that when, you know, there were people in the military. And it was not an uncommon thing that I would see on a regular basis. Because, you know, when you're in college, you, you're moving around. You just go from place to place, party to party. I would see married spouses, people who were wives that were married, and their husband was gone for six months, a year, and they're all hanging in the clubs. And let me tell you something, they weren't all angels. And, of course, you have men who are, you know, in the military. You know, it's not uncommon that they go to different parts of the world and they experiment. And the reality of it is, is because there are urges and there are needs that need to be met. Now, I'm not making a statement that that's right. Obviously, we know that's wrong. Obviously, we know that is ungodly. Obviously, we know that is sin. But the whole point of it, of it is, is Paul said we need to come together again. That's why I say that if, if there's going to be a time when, you know, I told my wife a long time ago when we first got married. I said, no, no, baby. I, you know, I got married. The day I got married, the following day, I got the job in Fairfax. I said, no, honey, you are coming with me. It's, no going, it's not going to be two months. Six, no, I'm not going to wait. You're coming. You're my wife. We're one flat. I need you here with me. I knew Gary. And I said, honey, I need you to come. And so she came the next day. And we struggled through it. But the point of it is, is that we have needs. Remember my dog, uh, Princess. We first got Princess. Princess was, uh, she, had, uh, she was thirsty. We didn't give her, so the kids forgot to give her water. And I walk Upstairs one day, and this was way back when we used to live in Manassas, and we only had her for a week, and the dog was inside the toilet bowl drinking water. So what are you doing? You already had your water for the day. Well, you know, I just, you know, just didn't have any idea. I mean, you always got to keep water off of the dog. But you know what that dog, what that dog was saying is, I need this water. I got to have it. And so the temptation is stronger. And that's why one of the things we can do to sure-proof our marriage is to stay together and come together as often as we possibly can to, in order to guard against some of the temptations that we face. Now let's talk a moment about the uh, five needs of the female and the five needs of the male or the husband and the wife. It's a gentleman by the name of Willard Harley. He wrote a book. Uh, the title of the book is His Needs, Her Needs. And uh, the top five needs of the spouse, of the wife. Number one, it is affection. Affection symbolizes security, protection, comfort, and approval. You know, it's funny, but when men think of affection, our minds generally go toward one place, you know. And when a, a, a wife, when she thinks about affection, she's not necessarily thinking about having sex. But, but men, because of the way that we are wired, you know, a lot of times, you know, my wife would just say to me, she would say, you know, I wish you were here because she could be here with me. I wanted her to do this with me. But, but you know, she could just say, well, you know, uh, she'll say to me sometimes, honey, just, just hold me. Don't want to do, don't want anything else. Just hold me. Honey, just, just hold my hand. 
And I remember when I, she first started talking about those things, I'm like, well, I mean, you hold me. That then there's something else supposed to, you know, it's like a progression of things here. You know, we're supposed to, you know. And, uh, and what I discovered is that women need that affection. They need just, you know, a, a, a kiss, flowers, opening the car door, little things like that. Those symbolizes affection for her. And I wasn't taught that coming up, you know. You know, I wasn't taught the thing of opening the doors. And I'll never forget it, my wife. <laughs> I took, you know, we used to go out. And this is when we first got married. And, uh, you know, I would get out of the car. And, uh, and she would just uh, sit there. And I'm like, come on, get out of the car. <laughs> Why are you still sitting there? And my wife, she will not move. She will stay right there until you get over here and you open the door for me. Because that symbolizes affection toward her. Spouses, wives like conversation. I know men generally don't like to talk, but it's funny when you think about this thing of conversation. You know, it's like, you know, you come, you come home and your wife said to you, honey, how'd your day go? And for us, you know, the temptation's fine. Uh, honey, uh, did you have any, you know, uh, what went on at work? Everything going good? Yeah. Uh, is there anything I need to know about? No. And we can't figure out what it is. I hope they, you know, they just won't talk. But women, they need that conversation. It's like, it's like, you know, if anything like my wife, it's like, you know, well, honey, um, you know, she want to know everything. So what did you eat for breakfast this morning? Uh, how long did you have to wait at the traffic light at this intersection? Um, you know, uh, uh, honey, um, who did you talk to at work today? What did you talk about? Who do you like? What are you charging with? And the whole time I'm sitting there like, do, 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 do. This really not need to be going into all this, you know. But, <laughs> but that is a need that they have. Because a conversation or c- communication with their wife is an inside track to her heart. You see, that is how they emotionally connect. They connect when we have these long, drawn-out, detailed conversations. And you're thinking to yourself from a man's perspective, what? Well, <laughs> And she, and she doesn't want to talk and talk and talk and talk. But that's how she's emotionally connected. And so you can look at that need and say, well, you know what? It's not that important. It's, if it's important to her, then it ought to be important to you. Honesty. Women need honesty and openness. They need to know that they can trust their husband. They need to know that, you know what, if my husband say that he's going to be there, he's going to be there. They need to know that my husband is completely open and honest with them because that speaks to the area of security. And once that trust is violated, it's hard to recover from that. So openness and honesty is what she needs. Financial commitment. She needs to live comfortably, to feel supported and cared for. You know, our wives get a little bit bothered when the financial situation is not really clicking like it ought to click. There's this kind of unsettledness. A family commitment is what she needs. She has a powerful instinct to create a home and have children. God has built that into her. She wants to know that her husband will assume the moral and educational development of their children. She needs to know that her husband is just not going to get up one day and skip out. She needs to have confidence that my husband is going to be there, but not only there physically, but emotionally, that we are connected. My wife shared with me yesterday, you know, a situation with my son. I said something that was taken out of context. And she said, honey, this is the way a Christian interpret what you said. I said to her, 
Now, uh, you know, I used to try to defend myself, right? <laughs> you know, well, baby, it's not, I didn't mean, you know, he doesn't need to. But you know what I said to her yesterday? Because now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm studying this stuff, too, and God is showing me something. I said, you know what, honey? You're right. And, you know, I'm going to have a talk with him. Because all she was saying is to me is she was like, you know, that's important. Because it speaks to her security. And she knows that I am committed to the family and the well-being of the family. And so when she comes and she gives me those little reports, then I need to pony up and go and take care of that and address it and not argue with it. What is the husband's need? Top five. Can anybody guess what number one is? Come on. Yes. (laughs) Are you shocked? The number one need for a male is sexual fulfillment. If you don't believe that, take a look today. If you watch the Super Bowl, watch sports, what are they always plastering on? I mean, every time you turn around, there is some half-dressed person somewhere trying to appeal to the men audience. But men have a number one need for is sexual fulfillment. And so women typically don't understand this, just like the husband don't typically understand a wife need of affection. You see, there's a book that says that women, I think, are from Mars and men are from someplace else. Where? Venus. Venus. Yeah, they're, they're two different things. And it's important that we kind of understand that. But men, you know, they, they, I was doing some studying. They did a survey. And they said men typically think about sex half the day in some way. Half the day. And obviously we have today in today's society, we have a lot of things that kind of lend into that. But that's a need that he has. And another need that he has is recreational companionship. You know, before marriage, you know, you know, you were courting your, your, your husband, you know, you would go to that football game. You might even sit there and watch because, you know, you're courting. But somewhere along the line, once we got hooked up, you know, it's like that ain't really important. You need to come on over this side. And a man has a need for recreational companionship, whether it's fishing, whether it's hunting. And I tell you, and I love it. My wife, and I always brag about my wife. I mean, she is really, you know, she's a, she's a good woman. My wife. My wife didn't know what a touchdown was when I met her. She didn't know what a field goal was. She had no zip, zero idea of what any sports, basketball, she didn't know any of that. But you know what she did? She knew that that was something I liked. And she knows that men generally, they love recreation. They like, they like playing. They like games and all these things. You know, my wife just said, you know, she just got involved. She'd come down now, she'd sit down and she would watch. Now, sometimes it's a little bit laborious because you got to, you know, explain all the little things to her. I went through that season. She's got a lot better now, so I don't have to talk as much when I'm watching the game. But it's a, man, I, I love it. As a husband, I come, I come home, everybody got on a cowboy shirt. All of us are cowboy fans, every one of us. And my goal is to convert you all who are not cowboy fans. Hallelujah. Kenny, you can shake your head, but I'm in prayer, brother. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we need, we need, look, those things are important to men. You know, my wife, from time to time, you know, when I started golfing, my wife didn't, didn't have any, she didn't want anything to do with golfing. But you know what she would do? You know, she, wanted, she would say, you know what, I'll, I'll go with it. I'll just sit in the cart. I said, yeah, baby, you just be my caddy. You know, and that makes me feel good as a man. But you know why? Because the thing that is kind of important to me, I mean, she, she likes that. And I, I need that outlet. I need that recreation, whatever it might be. Another need that a man has is for an attractive spouse. 
Now, that is not to say that we are to make unhealthy comparison. Men, we are not to compare, you know, our wives with somebody else. You know, that stuff you see on TV as the stomach turns and the guiding light and all those soap operas and these people getting out of the bed. They got makeup on. Everybody, you know, everybody breast smell real good. Their hair is all fixed. How do you know that is just Hollywood? That ain't true. It ain't true. Don't buy it. But one of the things that men, you know, in society knows it, that men are generally stimulated by what they see. And so, you know, it's a wrong attitude to say, well, you know what? Um, You know, well, we're married, so you got to accept me the way that I am, and this is it. I'm just going to gain 100, 200, 40, 250, and you just got to deal with it. It's the same thing for the men. Men, you know, we can say, well, you know what? Um, you know, I'm married now, so baby, you know, we can get the big old gut to kind of hang way out of here. And she's looking at you saying, honey, can you please, you know, like, like work out every now and then? Like, and you can't figure out why it is that she's saying she's having a tough time with you. Because, listen to me, we have a responsibility. Obviously, it's a big need for men, but we have a responsibility to take care of our bodies. Because remember we said on the onset is that your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your husband and vice versa. So I just cannot just say to my wife, if my wife say, honey, you know, uh, you, you know, honey, can, could you do a little bit? I mean, can you work out? Because I remember we met in me. And obviously, I'm not the way I was when, I, when, I, when we first met. But one of the things, and I'm just going to be honest with you, one of the things I do when I work out, I know exactly what it is my wife likes. So when I work out, I'm working on certain body parts, you know, and that I know my wife, she likes that. And so she'll come and she'll say, I like your shoulders. I like whatever. She don't talk. This is kind of flabby, so that's a whole different story. But, but, but what I do is, you know what I'm doing? The whole, believe it or not, I'm thinking about what would please her because I have an obligation to her. When I first met my wife, she looked a certain way. When she met me, I looked a certain way. Now, obviously, times change. You have kids. A lot of things come into that. And listen, you know, we know that commitment has nothing to do necessarily with how you look, and we are to stay committed no matter what. If you're going to be together, why not make it the best? Why not be a little bit considerate and care for each other and take care of each other, take care of our bodies, take care of our temples? Men need domestic support. They need to, men need a degree of peace and quiet and a long day of work. And they talked about, and I was uh, reading this book, they talked about how men often fantasize. And I, I want to underscore fantasize. Come home and my wife is there and, you know, the, She's looking great, and, you know, the house is well kept, and everything is just in order, and I get to sit down, and, oh, I get to eat, and then we get to take a walk, and then, you know, I get to put the kids to bed, and then we just have a talk, and everything is just so perfect. I remember as a, as a young man, I used, to, I used to visualize that even when I was in high school because my family was just so torn in so many ways. And so I always would visualize coming home from work and, seeing my wife and seeing my kids being happy in our home. And that is something that a, that a man treasures. He, he likes it because he sees the fruit of his labor. And it's important to him. Men need admiration. We talked a little bit about that last week. He needs her to be proud of him. Tell him how wonderful he is, even though he may not be on that particular instance. Um, there are sometimes, you know, he's wonderful sometimes. But so, but it inspires him to want to achieve more when she knows or when he knows that his wife is happy for him and she approves of him and she lets him know that. 
and it encourages him. And so we talked about, you know, the, the, the number one, the, the, some of the, 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 the needs, but we, we're, we're still talking about sure proof of your marriage. And that first one was meeting each other's needs. The second one is regular times of dating. How many of you have a regular date night? You try. Let me tell you something. See, here's what happened. And, you know, you can, you know, we, we got, we have four children. You all know that. And it is a challenge. But if you're not very careful, remember that your marital relationship is that that is the most important relationship. And so when you and your spouse spend time together, what it does is it reengages you. You you spend that time talking that you need to be that time where the kids are not in the picture. Because what can happen five, ten years can go away. And before you know it, your marriage is ruined or it's taking a serious hit, and you're trying to figure out why, because the two of you don't know each other. You ever heard the term, we've grown apart? That's how it happens. And so when we have those regular times of dating, it, it, it makes us kind of focus on each other, to kind of talk about the details, uninterrupted conversation. So find yourself that babysitter. Do whatever you got to do, but make sure you spend time. I'm not talking about just at home, but Going out, getting away from the scene. My wife, a lot of times, she'll tell me, I just want to get away from here. <laughs> she tells me that. Just, just take me out. And so we just go somewhere, and, you know, and we just talk. We reconnect. And it does wonders for our relationship. Because I don't want to look up one day and say, honey, who are you? I don't, I don't know who you are because we've been just so busy with life. And particularly in Northern Virginia, it's a challenge. So I want to encourage you. Get a date night. We're talking about sure proof in your marriage. One day during the week where you and your spouse go out and spend some time together. Now, here's a big one. And a lot of people struggle with this, but I, I got to say it. Avoid being alone with the opposite sex, if that's, obviously, if that's not your wife or your husband. Now, I work in a profession where I see it all the time. It is not an uncommon thing. They told me when I first uh, became a law enforcement officer, they said two things will destroy you. That's women and women in booze. And it still holds true today. They told me that in the academy. And, it's, and, and oftentimes when I would see the handwriting on the wall, I would go to a certain place and I would see, you know, some cop, maybe with another cop, and they're just in a coffee shop, supposedly just having lunch alone, spending all this time alone. I had this big conversation the other day. The guy was like, there's nothing wrong with that. Just being, you know what? There's no sin that said you can't be with the opposite sex. Well, let me tell you something. One of the things that, that I have found out, and, and what the Apostle Paul says, that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so the Bible also says that let him who think he stands take heed, lest you fall. And so one of the things that I practice is I never, I am never alone with any other woman. I don't do any counseling. If there is any communication, it's usually in an area where people can walk in and walk out. Why do I do that? Because I'm afraid or because I think something might happen? No, because it's my way of saying, you know what? I don't even want to give the perception. I don't even want to give the devil an opportunity for me to be tempted at all. Because I'm just not going to allow it to happen. 
They talked to Billy Graham. They said to Billy Graham, how have you, in, amid so many, for an example, pastors and leaders that have failed in their relationships or at some point, what was the secret? He said, you know, he, one of the things he said, I never ever, I was alone, I, ne- I was never alone with another woman. I never did any counseling alone with her. I always made myself accountable. And we're talking about sure proof of your marriage. So one can make the argument, well, I want to be uh, uh, alone, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I was, uh, uh, I don't want to say the church name, but there was a church that I know of in this area where the pastor had a business with this other female. And they would go off together all the time, and they would spend two, three, and four days together in different places, all in the name of the business. Now, I don't know if anything happened or went on. But the elders that came to him and said, look, people in the church are getting a little bit concerned because you all are in the same office and the door is always shut and you're always taking these long trips together. You're gone for two or three days. He was an attractive person. She was an attractive person. How do we know the flesh is flesh? You know, I don't care who bones you put it on. And the reality of it is, is that he made it. He said, well, you know what? I'm not doing anything, so I don't really care what the people think. Well, that became a big issue, and he ended up losing somewhere around 200 of his members because he felt like, well, you know what? People just got to get over it. Let me say something to you. Perception does mean something because, see, number one, it makes the relationship feel more secure. When, my, when, when, when I am doing some things on purpose to guard and to say to my wife and to say to everybody else, you know what, honey? I, I am, I'm just going to do things that will not even put myself in a position to be tempted. That's sure proof in your marriage. Another thing we can do to sure proof our marriage is regular tune-ups. We've got to hurry along. Regular tune-ups. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's say, for example, you go and buy one of these nice cars, like, uh, let's say, uh, a Mercedes or a Lexus or, or you know, a, Jagu- a Jaguar, my favorite car. Let's just say that you buy, you know, you can, uh, if you bought a car and you drove down the road, or you drove, not, let's just say that you drove that car for a period of about two years, and you never get an oil change, you never get a tune-up. You kind of think to yourself, well, the car is making it, so everything is, is fine. I mean, it's getting me to where I need to go. How many know that at some point that car is going to break down on you? For some reason, I don't know what it is, but when we get married, we just tend to think that it's just supposed to happen. Those easy, those feelings where everything just kind of click, where you hardly even have to work at it. It just worked perfectly. For some reason, we think or we have it in our minds that the marital relationship is, you know, that it's, a, it's supposed to be automatic. And it's not. We have to get, listen, we need to get regular tune-ups. What do I mean by tune-ups? Like going to some of these conferences and marriage conferences. Sometimes that you and your spouse can get along where you can be educated, where somebody can speak into your life and into your marriage. Think about this. We spend so much time investing in our education. I mean, boys, you try to tell me about my job and my craft, brother, I can tell you everything there is to know about my job. I can do my job pretty well, I think. I can tell you anything you want to know about my job. You know, you, you go to school, you get educated, and, and we perfect our craft really well. But for some reason, once we get married, it's like we don't do it. It's like, it's, it's like we don't put in the time. We don't put in the effort. We just kind of leave it on automatic pilot. And then we're trying to think to ourselves, why am I struggling here? Because we have to invest in your marriage. That's kind of like what you're doing today. 
You are investing in your marriage. I have some information out on the table, Family Life Today, great organization. All those things out there is, is for marital enrichment. They have marriage conferences coming up. Let me tell you, these are professional people, and it would be good that at least once a year that you and your spouse get alone and just spend some time and fine-tune your marriage. And if your marriage is good, make it stronger because it ain't, it's not perfect. There is always room for improvement. Great marriages don't just happen. They are built that way. You have to build them up. Uh, getting close to the end, one or two more. Resolve financial issues together. You know, the Bible talks about that the two become one. And we talked we talk before in recent weeks about secret accounts and all of these things. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I think it undermines the marriage is that when there are secrets. Now, it's one thing that if your spouse have an account that is different than yours and you have a separate account and you both know about it. But it's a whole other issue when there's some stuff that is kind of you know, so stuff that's hidden. I listen to guys sometimes, they'll tell me, they'll say, well, you know, I, I, I hear this. You don't know anything about this, you know, and I got this little private stash. Well, the problem with that is it breeds division in the marriage. Think about it, that, that the two become one. That means that your spouse have a right to know everything that's going on with regard to your finances. And, and financial problems are one of the number one causes, by the way, of stress and divorces in marriages other than uh, adultery. And so we need to do these things together. We need to, to, to be aware of what's going on, that we need to make financial decisions and plannings together, not apart. We need to do them together to plan. You know, if there's a debt, you know, me and my wife, we sit down often, and if there's a debt, we sit down together and we make a plan together. And I say, honey, okay, we're going to eliminate this debt by this date. And what are we doing? We're planning why? Because I am sure proof in my marriage because if my financial situation is not right, that has implications on our marriage. And so remember what I said, that marriage is very important to me. And so you know what? I need to sure this up. I need to have a plan. I need to do whatever I need to do to protect the integrity of my marriage. And so everything is out on the table. The two become one, not this separate stuff. It breeds division in the marriage. Resolve conflict. Another thing we can do before we, uh, another thing we can do to sure proof our marriage is to resolve conflict before bedtime. <laughs> Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. You know, that is a big one. Because sometimes we can hold our little grudges. I don't know, none of you all struggle with that, do you? You know. Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The temptation sometimes is that, you know, when you really get mad about something, that you allow it to go on. I've known people that can hold grudges for a week, two weeks, for a month. Just ain't talking to you. I'm not going to talk. Nope. Nope. How you doing? Goodbye. Living in the house and you're miles apart. One of the things, if you obey this principle in the scripture where it says, do not be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Listen, here's what you do. You... You establish a pattern whereby you don't allow the events of that day to carry on into the next days, into the following weeks. Because here's what happens. One day that stuff gets to a point where it just pressurizes, all this pressure, and all of a sudden, boom, there's this big explosion. And you're standing there looking like, why did she just get mad because I didn't take the trash out? And it has nothing to do with the trash. It was all the unresolved issues that happened throughout the course of days and weeks and months. 
So one of the things that, you know, we do in our marriage, for example, we just never go to bed. Me and Peggy will stay up sometimes 2 and 3 in the morning, and I got to get up. And a lot of times I'm pushing it because sometimes she's like, look, deal with this tomorrow. I'm trying, no, baby, we got to deal with it. I want, I want to go to sleep in peace at night because I don't want anything to be carried over because we'll leave it undone. And you know what? Our, our marriage is not what I would call great because great to me symbolizes somewhat of a kind of a perfection. But it's a good marriage. And I believe that one of the reasons why we have a good marriage is because we don't go to bed mad at each other. The last and final one is we pray together. We pray together every day. You and your spouse, it's a good idea, it's a, be a good idea to pray together once a day. Why? Because you invite God back into the marriage. Think about it this way. You remember in the Garden of Eden that there were Adam and there was Eve and there was God. The problem arose when they rejected God and they booted God out of the marital relationship. Then the marriage relationship began to deteriorate because they disobeyed God. When you pray with your spouse on every day, you just grab it and just, you know, my wife and I, we pray every day. And what we're doing is we're inviting God back into this marriage. Because the reason why our marriages struggle oftentimes is because God doesn't have place in our marriage. And one of the things that we can do is that we can invite God and say every day, just, just pray. Pray for one another. My wife, she laid hands on me and she prayed I have a good day at work. I pray for her every day. And believing for God's best because you know, there are many challenges that are going to come throughout the course of a day. And so one of the ways that we can sure-proof our marriage is pray together. How I many you know that it's hard to go to bed at night mad when you know that every night you pray together? Me and my wife used to try to do that. We would have a little dispute. And then it was bedtime. And we know we have to meet God because every night, you know, we have to pray. We have to meet God. And then if you're mad, there's no way that you can pray <laughs> if you're mad and trying to talk to God and say, one of those got to go. And so that's one of the things that prayer does. It focuses, it gets you back where your attention, where it needs to be, where you're focused on God and you're allowing God back into the relationship, which is going to make your relationship healthy and strong. Now, at this point, we're going to have a time of some, uh, some Q&A. Uh, I want you to keep that, keep that running. For the people who are not here, because they can then listen into it, and I want you to keep this mic on. So, if anybody have any questions about marriage at all, I want to sit this right here, just in case if anybody want to come. For you short people, we'll put it down like that. All right. I got a few written questions. If anybody think of any, feel free to ask. This is a freebie. You get to put me on the spot. Just be gentle with me. Here's a question. Uh, what are some concrete ways, or better yet, what can a wife do to encourage her husband to become the spiritual leader in the home other than the exercise of prayer? Well, I think, uh, I think one of the ways that you could do that is kind of like what we have been talking about in recent weeks is just to affirm his leadership in the home. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you're going to have times, you know, sometimes when you have two spouses, they may, you know, two people, two people get married and perhaps one of them may be a little bit more spiritual than the other or one of them may have been saved or the two of them or one got saved before the other got saved. And then you kind of have this kind of uh, unequal thing kind of happen there. 
But I think one of the things that you can do to encourage your husband to be a spiritual leader is, number one, you know, model a godly lifestyle before him. You know, instead of getting there arguing and just trying to force the issue, just the Bible talks about in First uh, Peter chapter number three, how that with your lifestyle that, that you can influence him a certain way by the way that you live. And so I think you can affirm his leadership. In other words, when he does something positive, just let him know, you know, honey, I, that was great that you did that. Awesome. Just affirm his leadership and, 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 and don't, uh, don't threaten that in any way. I don't know if I answered that question, but uh, anybody have any, que- any, other, uh, any other questions about that at all? Spiritual leader in the home? Yes. That's what it takes. I heard it said that you should not, if you're taking a leadership role, then you're taking it away from, Mm -hmm. okay, that you're taking it away from your spouse. Mm -hmm. So should you then not lead the, I mean. No, I I don't believe that you're taking it away because what you're doing is, for an example, if there is something that needs to be accomplished and you go ahead and, and you do it. Remember, we're talking about modeling a godly lifestyle. It's nothing wrong with a wife. We'll just use a wife for an example. Who says, you know, my husband don't do A, B, and C, D, and I would like for him to do A, B, and C, D. Then, so it's nothing wrong that she says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do this. This is not necessarily taking the authority from him. It's modeling the authority. It's, it's modeling a godly lifestyle, which will hopefully kind of provoke him in a way to come alongside and do that. And so it's not wrong. Now, it's only a problem if he says, uh, if he asks of you to do something that is, that is unbiblical. And then, you know, you, know, you can obviously you have, you can, you can resist that. But if he asks you something to do that is biblical, that's not, you know, necessarily a sin or anything like that, then, you know, affirm. Just, just follow his lead. Because one of the things, you know, we can fall into is, you know what, I'm just going to take this thing. I'm going to run with it. I'm just going to do my thing, and, and, you know, with no regard in what he says. And I think you ought to always listen to your husband. You ought to always um, follow his leadership. And in areas that, that he is not leading in, then you just model that before. And, and I don't think God has a problem at all with that. And to me, that's not taking in leadership, but it's encouraging a godly leadership because you're trying to help him, aid him to step up in his role as a husband. You just, that's all you're doing. You're, you're saying, honey, you know, I'm, I'm, and then, and so once he, and when he's getting ready to take the reins, just step out of it, let him do it. Let him do it. But you just model that before him and then you encourage him that way. Any other question about that? Um, is it possible for a married couple where both husband and wife, this is question number two, are professed Christians to be spiritually unequally yoked? I don't believe so. I believe that that uh, scripture in Corinthians that talks about unequally yoked have to deal with two people, that, you know, whereas, whereas one is not saved. Two people that are saved and they are in Christ, you are, you are on the same plane. Um, so it's not an unequally yoked kind of a thing. It's, it's only unequal when one is saved and one is not. Uh, that's when you know, the Bible kind of discourages being unequally yoked. Uh, but there are some times where you can have spiritual levels of maturity within the relationship. 
that can be somewhat different. Uh, and so that don't have to do with necessarily being unequally yoked. That has more to do with a person kind of growing and, and developing in their walk with God. And so um, I believe that, um, you know, if you're both Christians, then you're not unequally yoked. But there are various degrees of uh, maturity in that relationship. And sometimes the wife can be a little bit more mature or the husband can be a little bit more mature than his wife. Same thing. Does God ever call the wife to take certain leadership roles in the home based on her uh, gifts and both natural and spiritual? Yeah, like I said before, I think we answered that. I don't see a problem with a wife taking certain leadership roles as long as she's not rebelling against the authority of her husband and undermining the authority of her husband. Uh, I think that's important. Remember, we talked about affirming that. And so there's nothing wrong with taking a leadership role. And remember, we talked about that the wife and the husband, they're both on the same plane. They're, 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 they're created equal before God. You know, one is not made better than the other. We just have certain roles. And uh, I don't see a problem with if, if there's something that needs to be done, then, you know, just model that behavior. I don't think it's a problem with that unless you, on, you know, on purpose just rebel against his authority and you will not uh, follow that when you know, you know, you ought to do so. So um, are there any other questions at all? Any questions anybody have regarding marriage or Jill? You look like you might have a question. No. Jonathan, you have a question? No. Jim, question? Manette, I know you got a question. No question. Okay. I think we pretty much covered a lot of ground in recent weeks. Sure. I'm just for the tape. Um, what is this thing now that, you know, most couples now, well, not most, but some couples, they get into the, the ramification of your money, my money. And they share bills and they share um, housing responsibilities. Mm-hmm. How do you take that? Okay, just so I can understand you correctly, as, as far as them sh- sharing everything together? Well, not, well you, have, you have your money, I have my money. Mm-hmm. And I pay my bills, you pay your bills. We're married and we're in the same household. Right. Well, I think, I, I think, I think that, I mean, there's no. I think it's always to me it's the spirit of oneness. You know, I don't think it's any pro, you know, anything that prohibits, you know, people from having certain accounts. But I think I think it becomes a problem when you start to divide everything because, you know, you talk about for an example prenuptial agreements and all these things, it's based on the principle. It's kind of like I'm not giving you everything. I'm kind of like divided because you just might kind of do something. You know, you may not uphold your end of the bargain. And so I'm going into this marriage already kind of like, you know, you're supposed to go in feeling like, you know, we're both one in this thing. We're giving each other our all. We're actually going into the marriage guarded. And I think that can become a problem. And so what you have is you have a lot of people that'll, 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 that'll break. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. In other words, if, if, I got, if, if I say me and my wife, we both agreed that we can have two separate accounts, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong, inherently wrong with that at all. But if, if it's a thing, if the, the attitude is this is mine and this is yours, don't come nowhere near mine, you know, that's when I think it's a problem. But if it's something that both of you agree on, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we have several accounts. And my wife knows, you know, 
what all those accounts are. Sometimes she don't even really care. Sometimes she does. She'll go in. You know, I've, I've had a couple of times when I've actually, you know, haven't transferred money from one account, and then I go in, I look, oh, like, whoa, what, what happened, you know, because we didn't communicate, and I think that's very, very important. And that's why I talk about just having this kind of an open thing where, we, you know, the spirit of it is unity. And so I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. It's just that if, if, but if the spirit is, this is mine, and don't come near mine. And, and I don't want to, and this is kind of like my little territory, I think that's a problem. I think we need to have an attitude of, if it's mine, it's, you know, if, if, if it's yours, it's mine, and vice versa. Like a yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a trust issue. Because I, I don't want to go, you don't want to go into your marriage, because you talk about you want to feel secure in your relationship, in your marriage. I think one of the things that helps that along is that, you know what, there are no secrets. Everything is open. Everything I own, I mean, my, there's nothing about my life my wife doesn't know. There's no accounts that she don't know about. Did she say that we have several accounts? Yes. I mean, all of our accounts are joint. We do everything jointly because I think it's important to send the message that we're one. Because when I got married, we're joint. It's no separate. We're one. And so I want everything to be done that way. Now, here it, brings, it may bring up the issue of, you know, I think some people do it. For an example, if there may be one spouse that is undisciplined, you know, uh, you know, and, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's some kind of agreement, you know, to say, well, you know what, I, I know I can't really control myself here, so maybe we can kind of establish this because I'm not as disciplined as you are with regard to finances. One spouse is more disciplined than the other, you know, and I think that if, it's wise that if, if one, whoever is more disciplined with the finances, I think that person should manage the finances. I mean, that's my, my opinion. I mean, I don't, you know, my wife, my wife, my life, my life, my wife managed the finances for a long time. And she only gave it up to me recently because she just had this, just so, she's just so busy and she wanted me to do it. But in actuality, you know, she's probably a little bit better of a manager than I am. So I have no problem with she, if she wants to take over that. I got no problem, you know, but if there's a problem with somebody not being disciplined, then, you know, it's wise to say, you know what, if, if I know I struggled in certain areas, then I'm going to say, honey, you know, you can control that. I got no problem with that at all. And see, if you're still in unity together, there's no real division there because the two of you have agreed upon this. You see, that's the whole thing. There are no secrets. There's nothing hidden. Everything is wide open and we're not trying to hide anything, but we're fostering unity in the marriage. Any other questions? Kenny, any questions? All right. Amen. Well, next week we're going to start on our children, so um, that should be a whole lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Why don't we stand and we'll close in prayer. Sure. Parenting period. Um, yeah, we're going to just cover areas of parenting. I mean, there may be some heavy emphasis in some ways to, to both mother and father, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll go in and out with that in the sermons. We'll talk about the, all those things. You know, we're going to talk about a couple things with regard to children, raising godly children, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, peer pressure and all those things that, that are so unique that it's very, very difficult and a real problem for our young people. So we're going to address some of those things next week. Uh, with it probably the next couple of weeks. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So invite people. Let them, you know, this is a great time. And so uh, if, you, if they're single, then even more so. No, but, you know, I, was, I wasn't really talking about with the, I was talking about with the, the Oh, the group. Okay, okay. No, that's fine. No, no, that will be, no, for anybody who have kids who want to, or who, even if you're thinking about having kids. I mean, I, I have no problem. It, it don't have to be couples. It can be a single person come. I've invited her to come to church with yeah. me, but she has obligations. 
That's fine. Invite, invite. Look, we got we got room up to seventy people, as far as I know. And I, you know, we only have uh, three. I guess it's four of us. I guess now you guys went on the list, but I'm assuming you're gonna you're gonna do it. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the Jeffries. I think us, uh, the Jacksons. And I don't know about you know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but hopefully you can sign up for that. I think it'd be great for you. And uh, and anybody else that might want to participate. I'm still trying to. Uh, hopefully I can get uh, Jeff and Dana involved in that as well. Um, so uh, I would like to have a nice, fun group with a lot of people involved. Uh, hopefully Jonathan can come out there as well. Hallelujah. Sunday, 2.30. Uh, <laughs> only six weeks. <laughs> the Jackson is going to make it fun for you. <laughs> pressure, pressure. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Let's stand to your feet and we'll close. The kids did okay for the most part, didn't they? It wasn't too bad. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Father, for our marriage and marriages. And we thank you, Lord God, that, uh, Father, our marriages are getting stronger and stronger, Lord. And uh, I just pray, Father, that you would continue to change us, to mold us, and uh, to make us the people that you want us to be. Bless our time together, Father God. And as we focus now, Father, on just enjoying each other, enjoying the day, relaxing, fellowshipping, having a good time, just be with us, Father. And just give us, Father God, showers of mercy and grace, and, uh, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.